You are listening to the You Are a Lawyer podcast. I am the podcast host, Kyla Dananyo, a 2015 law school graduate. This podcast was created to share the experiences and successes of law school graduates who created their own paths to career success. In episode 29, I am speaking with a technology specialist and lawyer. This guest uses his analytical, legal, and problem-solving skills as head of marketing with Buzzsprout. Based in Jacksonville, Florida, today's guest is Albin Brooke. So welcome to the podcast, Albin. Thank you so much for having me. Of course. Would you tell the audience a little bit about yourself? Sure. So I'm the head of marketing for a podcasting company called Buzzsprout and former attorney, former teacher. And yeah, now I find myself doing lots of YouTube videos and writing a lot and purchasing ads. Okay. This is sad for me to say, but... I just started watching YouTube this summer, like no lie. Totally in the same boat. I feel like (laughs) we we started on YouTube and I was like, I know it's a thing, but I don't watch it. Mm -hmm. And I've now spent more time on there and I'm like, oh, there's so much good stuff on here. Absolutely. My husband watches it all the time on our TV and he'll just be watching it. Like it's, you know, as if he's just watching, I don't know, CNN or something. And I was like, I never realized that was YouTube. Yeah, there's there's some good stuff. You run into so much stuff, you're like, wow, I can't believe there's millions of people that want mm-hmm. to watch like whatever video pops up on the sidebar. It's like, it's incredible. Yeah, it kind of made me upset. I was like, all these people have been running home and watching YouTube and no one told me. The big hack I found was they let you pay something like $10 a month to get rid of the ads. Mm-hmm. And it I think it makes YouTube so much more addictive because if I have to sit there and watch like Tide commercials over and over, I just leave. And now I'm like, oh man, there's so much good stuff on here. I could go learn about this. I could watch this interview and uh, without any interruptions, I Mm -hmm. feel like I watch quite a bit more. Yeah. My friend told me the paid account is really good because they're not seeing all the toy commercials and saying, hey, I want this. I want that. So we'll keep that in mind for our little one. Yeah. I think that's a great idea. Yeah. Is Is she your first? Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. So exciting. Yeah, it is. We're talking about having another and I'm like, I just can't even imagine another person here. Like she's, <laughs> I mean, I don't even remember what life was like before she was here. So I can't imagine having another one, but yeah. Well, my yeah. daughter is almost five and I feel like even now my wife's like, I'm not sure if I can handle another one just yet. <laughs> <laughs> she sounds like me. Uh, yeah. My husband's like, no, we should do it while they're both in diapers. And I'm like, um, I guess maybe it's because like as men we're like how do we make this the most efficient job possible (laughs) yeah and so yeah it's very easy for us to be like well if we optimize this then it'll be easier (laughs) (laughs) oh yeah so have you recorded for a podcast before do you have a podcast yeah we have a few podcasts i feel like being connected to the podcasting industry i get invited on a lot Mm -hmm. but we have a few ourselves we have some where we're teaching people how to podcast some where we're talking about the podcasting industry, they're very much kind of scratching our own itch, helping teach our customers more about the industry. So that's mostly what I find myself talking about. Okay. And what about the YouTube videos? Is that a part of the podcast or showing people how to get the most out of their podcast? Yeah. So kind of like our main marketing channel for Buzzsprout has always been content marketing. My undergrad was in English, and I think that I naturally gravitated towards writing when I took this job. And so Mm -hmm. we started writing a lot. Then we reached out into podcasting because we wanted to show 
you know, hey, we're telling you how to podcast, but let's, we'll show you as well. Yeah. And then we started doing the YouTube videos a bit over a year ago. And now we pretty much are producing, you know, multiple YouTube videos a week, podcasting guide every week, uh, multiple podcast episodes, a newsletter, and it's all kind of grown out of, we're just trying to be as helpful as possible and teach people, you know, how to start their podcast. Yeah, absolutely. So as you said, Buzzsprout is a podcast hosting platform. You guys also have a blog. You've branched out into the YouTube tutorial videos. How did you get connected with Buzzsprout? So, you know, after law school, I was practicing law and one of my best friends in Florida, we ended up being roommates and I knew that I was ready for a career change. Mm -hmm. um, I knew that practice of law was probably not where I was going to be long term. I figured that out kind of quickly. And I always had an affinity for technology and felt bummed out that I hadn't gone and spent my time in school focusing on that. And so I would make all these grand claims to my roommate. I was like, you know, if you guys ever needed someone, I would just leave law and I would make the switch. <laughs> Who cares if I have to take a big pay cut? I would do it. And then uh, he eventually says at one point, like, hey, we're going to hire for this role. And I was like, well, I've kind of like been talking this game for a couple <laughs> of years now. The opportunity is open, so I have to jump at it. But that was almost six years ago now Wow! that um, I joined Buzzsprout. Okay. And what type of law did you practice? I worked for a few different law firms okay. before school, two different firms, and then after school practicing. All were construction law. And I okay. think that it was, you know, the first job I ever had was as a runner. The first legal job I ever had was as a runner for a construction firm. And then somebody left that firm and I went and helped them do uh, start their own law firm. And I went as a paralegal and that was also a construction firm. So then when I'm getting out of law school, I think I had these grand ideas that I was going to be a criminal defense attorney, or I was going to be arguing constitutional law. It's going to be doing something very important. Mm. And there'd be people that you'd really be able to help. And what I ended up coming out to was and where my skills were needed was the skills that I had, which were construction law. So those were the people looking to hire me. So just to clarify, what do you do exactly as a runner? Is that like working in the mailroom or are you kind of like a gopher? We need you to kind of go and get whatever. Yeah, because I only had that job for maybe a year. Okay. But all that that was was doing lots of filing. Documents came in and you're the one managing all the files, like the physical files. So I was going to the courthouse to file everything at the end of the day. You know, it was a $10 an hour job that I was able to get without any experience. Yeah. Okay. Nothing wrong with construction law. I took an elective in law school and it was one of my favorite courses. Oh, really? Yeah. It was great. <laughs> That's interesting. Did you enjoy being a paralegal? I think so. I mean, I did enjoy that job, but um, in retrospect, you know, then I probably thought it was the practice of law that I was enjoying, mm -hmm. but I realized what I enjoyed then was kind of that I was the first employee of a growing law firm. Okay. And I was probably, I don't know, 22. I had access to kind of everything. Hey, this client needs someone to talk to her and there's no attorneys available and she's just coming to kind of do a little intake. Can you talk to her? Can you fix this software issue? Can you figure it out? And so I would get involved in everything, which is, I think what I really enjoyed was just yeah. the problem solving and fixing things. And that was really enjoyable for me. But I think I might've gotten my, the wires crossed a little bit thinking like, oh, it's the practice of law that I'm truly passionate about which I think I was pretty quickly realized was not the case. <laughs> yeah, I understand that. So it sounds like you like to be active, like to be on the cutting edge. 
Yeah, I think what I truly love is problem solving. Mm-hmm. and kind of identifying there's a hang up in a system and trying to solve it. And very much like, how can I be creative and how can I put a healthy amount of work into something, but to get the best results. Yeah. And you know, my experience with practicing law was a lot of the times when you spotted inefficiencies, you were not incentivized to fix them. Mm-hmm. So as attorneys, we're very risk adverse. And we are always saying, let's mitigate all possible risks. Yeah. And so we will often put two to three times the amount of work into a pleading or into a contract. And the whole purpose of that is to make sure there's nothing that will ever come back to harm us. You can feel like you're not doing the very best work for your client. And you're also not enjoying your work when you've done what you believe to be a very good job, but then you kind of go over it two, three, four more times going, Mm -hmm. is everything completely perfect here? Yeah. That perfectionism gene, they just pull it out of you when you're in school. Yeah. And that is a positive. I mean, that's one of the things I know that I've taken from the practice of law is if you're filing something in federal court, you end up going, there's no way I can ever let there be a chance that I cited a case wrong. Mm -hmm. or that I even messed up the formatting and you become kind of paranoid with your own work. Like I got to make sure this is completely accurate and true. And I did my very best. So I've carried that with me, but it also is healthy now. You know, we'll send an email out to a couple hundred thousand people and I could sit there and agonize over for the fourth and fifth read through. But at some point I go, it's okay if I messed up, if there's a typo, that's not the end of the world. Even though it's a lot more people, the stakes are a lot lower than if you mess up somebody's case because whatever you filed was incorrect. Does right. that make sense? It does. Yeah. Let's say that email, even though it's going out to hundreds of thousands of people, it's not necessarily life or death. Whereas right. one of your filings could have been, or someone could lose their permit or their zoning. So yeah. Right. My father is actually a criminal defense attorney and- for him, like there's so many of these cases that when they have their sentencing or when they find out somebody's going to be indicted, it really is crushing for the family of the defendant and for the defendant themselves, obviously. And the, just the stakes are so different. And it's easy to think like, oh, the site went down for five minutes, like everything's falling apart. But uh, the difference between your website being down for a couple minutes or, you know, messing up your and your in an email <laughs> very different from if somebody is sentenced to a few months in jail or 10 years. It's just a very different level of stress that you mm-hmm. deal with. Yeah, it is. Stress and anxiety. I'm in a big law firm here in Cincinnati, and it's intellectual property, like e-commerce law. And I love it because there's no emergencies. <laughs> like right. there's zero, zero emergencies. So yeah, I think that's great. So speaking of being a perfectionist, Have you found that trait that you had to be beneficial in marketing, even though you can give yourself the leeway to just send the email after looking at it two or three times? Yeah, I definitely think it is. I think that perfectionism might be the wrong word for it. I think it's that you never kind of let your guard down for ways that things can be improved. Maybe Mm. that's the right way. Instead of, you know, just doing what you think is a good job, and filing something as an attorney, like you have to do the very best job possible. And we really focus on how do you advocate for your client in the best way and give the very best argument for them. And so I think a bit of that has translated where I'm going, yeah, it probably doesn't really matter if Mm -hmm. the formatting is a little bit different 
it in the second paragraph, but I'm going to spend the time to fix it. Yeah. It, you know, it just makes you very focused. And so I think that those small changes do compound doing marketing, but I think it is because it's kind of like your brain is always turned on looking for ways to improve things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So as the head of marketing, is this a JD preferred job? In the sense that would we have tried to hire a lawyer? No. I think just having any sort of like higher level degrees, it's kind of somebody has vouched for you that you're reasonably smart. Mm. And I think that that was kind of what I had going into it. So, you know, it, I could have just walked into the interview and they might've been able to, from talking to me say, oh, we think this guy could do the job well. They obviously did. I had a strong desire to do it, that I was willing to get significant pay cut, switch careers, put seven years of working in law or being in law school, put that to the side, just trying to start a new career. So they were able to see that, which I think was valuable. They didn't see a ton of skills that would translate, I don't think. They trusted you. And obviously you answered the right questions. (laughs) So you mentioned that there's no typical day in your role, right? Some days you are creating content, other days you're shooting videos or working on advertising buys. How do you think that being a problem solver and having your JD benefits you in this role? I don't know. I actually think that was kind of something that was part of who I am. Mm-hmm. And law was very clearly not providing that. So I'm sure any of your listeners who are attorneys now, especially young lawyers, know your first few years of law, you can, depending on where you end up, spend an incredible amount of time doing document review and you're checking things for privilege, or you're just trying to see how the documents might affect your case. Mm -hmm. And so I spent the first year of practice really doing 12 hours plus of document review. Wow. And it would be just these days that were kind of grinding through something that really didn't turn on like any part of my brain. My brain is kind (laughs) of, you know, constantly looking for other distraction. And yet I know the client is being billed $270 an hour. I better be fully focused on it. And so it's just this kind of, it was actually the opposite, I guess, of problem solving. It yeah. was, how can you do this routine work? And I think that it was very easy for me to look around the law firm and see, you know, there's a lot of aspects of law that if you like having a routine and you like being able to sit down and know what you're going to be working on for the next week, then it actually is really good for you. And the people who enjoyed that were thriving. Mm -hmm. And there were other people who weren't thriving and I kind of identified with them more. And so it was kind of this search where I was like, what could I be doing that I would constantly be presented with new problems? And once a problem was solved, that I could move on from it and not have to re-engage that problem over and over again yeah kind of avoid the routine yeah and it sounds like that's really what all problem solvers are looking for right you don't really want a problem that's constantly recurring because you didn't solve it you just put a band-aid on it right so when you solve a problem with software you program it and then it is automated and you don't think about it again yeah you know just development work that we do is 100 percent finding a problem, diagnosing it, solving it, and moving on. And then the other aspect is when you create content, you sit down with this problem, you go, what, you know, we want to write a guide on 
all the issues around music for podcasters and the best places to find it and everything about it. And we can spend a long time really hammering it out. But once it's done, it's pretty much done. You'll come back every year and you'll update it and you'll improve it. But um, you get to do things kind of once and then they're done. You're very rarely doing the exact same work over and over again. Mm-hmm. But I think whenever people ask me about the practice of law, I hesitate to give a strict answer on it because I don't think it's as much some jobs are terrible and other ones are great. It's a matching problem between who you are and the type of work that you desire to be doing. And what is, you know, what are the things about your personality that will not be a weakness, but a, instead of strength? So it really was a weakness that I did not like the routine. Mm-hmm. And, you know, for a couple of years, I was in an incredibly rigid routine that, and I was like, oh, this is definitely not working for me. It's an incredible weakness of mine. But in this job, it's actually an incredible strength because I'm constantly getting to switch between different types of work. And that's what I truly find enjoyable. Yeah. So. Well, I remember I had, there were people in law school who said, oh, I don't want to be a litigator. You know, we're taking these classes on litigation, but I don't want to be a litigator. Or at least they didn't want to be in court. They're like, I, what my goal would be is to be in the back room, kind of going through the documents and pulling things together mm-hmm. and figuring it out. Yeah. I love that. I hadn't thought of that before. It's a matching issue. That makes sense. Yeah. I mean, it's it's probably the way that I also would think about things like relationships and you know, hobbies. It's like, you're just trying to find the things that are best suited to you. And it's not really an indication of whether or not one person is a good or bad person. It's just like, Oh, is this person a good match for me? Is this hobby a good match for me? It's like, there's so many hobbies in the world that I could find no joy in, but there's tons of people that really enjoy it. It's not because they're all idiots. It's because they're, they're differently built than I am. Yeah. Okay. So you mentioned that your father is an attorney. He's in criminal practice and your grandfather was an attorney as well. Would you share some details about that? Sure. So it actually goes back, I think even further on my mom's side, her grandfather was in the Southern district of New York. I think he was an attorney and then he left and uh, actually went back to his family farm and was a farmer. Um, Then on my dad's side, my grandfather was a judge Um, here in Jacksonville, Florida for many years. Hmm. And then my dad is still practicing attorney. So I feel like more than anybody, I was exposed to the practice of law growing up and grew up around a lot of lawyers and a lot of friends. Their parents happened to be lawyers. So uh, it was definitely something that was very much in the family, though it was not I definitely did not go into the practice of law being pushed by any family members. I'm pretty sure both my dad and gr- grandfather both were like, I'm not sure if this is the right <laughs> path for you. And my like rebellion was like, no, dad, you can't tell me what to do. I'm going into law. This is definitely the right thing. And very quickly realized both dad and granddaddy were both correct. <laughs> <laughs> and not because they didn't want you to go. They probably could see something in you that was like, I don't think you're going to want this. Yeah. I mean, it was hundred percent that I think there's times that parents, we, the cliche is that parents do the opposite that as children, we know what's best for us. We know how we feel and 
who we love and what work we want to do. And the parents are always trying to impose on us. Mm-hmm. I was very much the opposite that they were like, no, you really should open yourself up to other opportunities. This I don't think is what you want. And I was like, no, it's, I want to do what you're doing. And that's, that's <laughs> actually the perfect thing for me. That's sweet though. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I only have a couple more questions. Sure. Yeah. If you kind of want to ask questions for me to clarify, I'm, that's perfectly fine. Yeah. It's funny interviewing someone, right? Because I have my questions, but I have to listen to what you're saying to see if something else jumps out. So I'm like yeah, juggling I, over here. Oh, I, I totally know what you're talking about. <laughs> I'll be interviewing people. And I realized my actually my way of interviewing people is like taking a deposition. I definitely have seen that practice come out when I interview people that I am basically taking their deposition. I'm not a <laughs> normal conversational interviewer. And what kind of interviews do you do with others? Uh, we do a handful of interviews for our YouTube channel. So recently I've been trying to interview podcasters about how they grew their podcast, what it does for them. Mm-hmm. A lot of times people are podcasting, but also doing something else. So there's attorneys that are doing it just to be known as a expert in their field People have all sorts of reasons for creating content and kind of getting their name out there. But I definitely have noticed that I kind of attack it as a deposition where I try not to ask questions that I don't know the answer to. I'm trying to research you know, the body of work that they have out there to really understand them before I'm going into the interview because then you kind of know what threads are interesting and where there are some interesting questions. Yeah, that's true. Well, here's a little freebie. I podcast because this is my creative outlet. My job is really routine based, but I need something else, right? So I was like, okay, I could paint. I could learn how to play the piano again. I think I'll do a podcast. So this is my creative outlet. So I love it. Yeah. So you're licensed to practice law in Georgia and Florida. Do you think you would ever practice formally again? I hope not. I mean, I've kept it active because I, I say that I work for BuzzProv. I actually work for our parent company that has a couple other web applications. Okay. And one of them is a medical company that every once in a while needs legal work performed. And so it's helpful for me to be actually barred and be able to write letters on our behalf and to represent our company. I do very little of that now, but it's still valuable for what my role is for kind of our, our overall, our parent company. Okay. Uh, but I, yeah, I don't really ever see myself going back and practicing law. There's tons of beautiful things about the law, but it was kind of a career path that I don't think I was ever going to be a great attorney mm-hmm. and definitely the practice of law was not going to be great for me. Yeah. So I thought of that question because you mentioned that your coworkers and colleagues know that you went to law school, but in casual conversation, you don't mention it all the time. Um, I was wondering if you would jump into legal meetings or stuff. Right. Yeah. The reason I I say that I try not to talk about it is I'm sure you've met people like this who, you know, they were a doctor, but they're not a doctor anymore. They didn't go to law school, but they're not practicing law. And I find this kind of gross thing in myself where I'm trying to like work into the conversation, interesting tidbits about me. (laughs) And I definitely used to do it when Buzzsprout was not well known and I didn't feel like I'd really progressed in my marketing career. And so I would find myself like when meeting new people to like try to work in that I was an attorney as well. And I really saw it as like kind of embarrassing that I was always wanting to do that. And I was like, you know, I need to do my best to get this out of me 
not uh, <laughs> definitely not like accentuate it. So I try not to bring up that I'm an attorney. Yeah. But it's a thing for myself. I mean, it is that I saw this characteristic that I didn't like, which was I would feel like low status when I was telling my job title. So I would try to elevate myself by kind of sticking it in there, which, you know, I just didn't like that. Yeah. It's like, oh, I work for this company, but I'm also a lawyer. Did you know that? Did you know I can do this too? Yeah. Yeah. And apologies to anybody who has this, but like, have you ever met an attorney who signs their name, doctor name, mm-hmm. and then Esquire at the end? Yeah. It's like you are, you do technically have a Juris doctorate, but that doctor is in there for you. It's not helping anybody else that there's a doctor. Absolutely not. <laughs> because if you're on an airplane or somewhere and someone passes out, you're not going to say, doctor, right here, I can help. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> not at all. So is there anything else that you would share with the audience about how law school impacted you or how, how you value your degree, even though you're not using it in a linear way, like going to court every day? Well, I mean, it's kind of a cliche that law school teaches you how to think, mm-hmm. but I definitely think it's like, it's one of these cliches. It's true. Like it does teach you a different way of thinking. It's often, I mean, it definitely was for me the hardest academic experience of my life and like order of magnitude more difficult than undergrad was for me. And I think that was really valuable because it stretched me. It kind of teaches you how to over prepare for things. Mm -hmm. It's very easy in undergrad to like kind of skim through a reading and then go in and feel like the smartest person in the classroom. I could read cases three, four times and miss minor, minor details, at least what I imagine to be minor details that some of my classmates would pick up and totally flipped the case. Yeah. And just learning how to focus your attention for that long, to be able to go back through the same thing multiple times and kind of glean something new each time. A lot of that is really just teaching your brain a different way of focusing and a different way of thinking. And it's definitely helped me quite a bit in just being a little bit more thorough and analytical and having a strong attention to detail. And you could have picked that up somewhere else, but you definitely picked it up in law school. So yeah, law school does not allow you to not do that. I feel like (laughs) other places it's in their best interest that if you're not getting it, I'm sure practice of medicine is this way. Like they don't just graduate you based on like, oh, he's trying hard. Mm -hmm. It's very important that you're getting everything complete. You're understanding everything and you're putting in the work and just having a three-year period where people were not going to give me an inch and we're going to say, you have to work your very hardest was very important for me. Yeah. I love that. Well, thank you so much, Alvin. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciated the conversation. Yeah, of course. You have a great day. You too. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to You Are a Lawyer. While you are here, subscribe to the show, leave a rating, and tell a friend about this episode. New episodes are released every other Thursday. Thanks again for listening. I hope you enjoyed the conversation. Bye.